It is October 2nd, 1st? 1st. Yeah. So we're going to go ahead and continue on what we uh, began studying last week, which was, y'all remember? Wow. I didn't make much of an impact at all, did I? That was, yeah. The kingdom of God. And uh, I asked last week, and nobody got it, but I, we were going to uh, look at any passage in the Bible that would tell us what the kingdom of God is like. We would turn to... First Corinthians? No, not First Corinthians. Matthew chapter five. No. <laughs> did say that last week too, but that's that's the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, chapter thirteen, the Kingdom Parables. <laughs> uh, well, last week we looked at the uh, the first parable, which is the parable of the uh, the seed and the sower. And so today we're going to look at the second parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares. And let's go ahead and uh, we'll all take turns reading and let's read verses 24 through 30. And uh, Jim, you will go first when you get to verse 24. We'll read through verse 30. Okay. Um, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. Sticky pages in that Bible, right? But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From Whence then hath it tares? Um, 28. He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up those tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together <clears throat> until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye first the tares, and bind them in bundles, to burn them, but gather the wheat into the, my barn. And uh, let's go ahead and read the interpretation of that too. And uh, we're going to read uh, verses 36 through 43. I guess it's my turn. Wait, uh, verse 36. Then mm -hmm. Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares in the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. Verse 41. The Son of Man shall send his angels, and they shall um, gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. And shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be no living gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. 
Let me point out something that I, I think I mentioned this last week. I'm, I'm not 100% sure that I did, but I think I mentioned last week uh, that, you know, regarding the context of this, it's always important to note the context whenever we read any passage in the Bible. We should, we should look who is speaking, to whom they were speaking, and what was the what was the circumstances which brought about that that particular passage? And uh, this is particularly true in the, the like the historical books, um, even the books of the law, and in the Gospels. But if we look at the context now, you, you go back to verse number one. It says in the, the same day uh, when Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside and then eventually he went into a boat and he taught them from the sea and then when he was done teaching them from the sea which apparently included uh, him just teaching uh, the uh, first parable, the parable of the seed and the sower in the, in the field and the tares and possibly two other ones after that. I, I, I don't know if we can say that with certainty. Then he went into the house, which is what we read in verse 36, and he gave the interpretation of the parable of the field and the tares and, and the rest of the parables. So he didn't give the interpretation of the others. Only those two uh, were given. But I did point out, I think, that, that in the Bible, um, land and sea are things that are almost always typical of what? The, the, the land is typical of Israel, and the sea is typical of the Gentile nations, so all other nations. And uh, so the, the fact that these parables are given both in the sea and on the land and in the house, I think that, uh, that, that at least gives us an, an indication that this is not just for Israel. It's not just for Gentiles. It's for the whole world. And uh, uh, I, I do think that there's some significance to the fact that some of the parables were given uh, outside the house and some of the parables were given to the disciples inside the house. And uh, I, I don't know if we can say for certain what that is. I personally uh, believe that uh, sanctification is something that has two aspects to it. I think that uh, there's an inward aspect to sanctification that is what only God can see. And then there's an outward, outward aspect of sanctification, that which others can see. Because obviously, as somebody grows in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, others are going to be able to see a difference in them. So there's an inward and outward aspect to it. And in the Old Testament, I think we could liken it to when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. And you remember that there were two monuments, right? There was one monument that was built up and placed within the bed of the river. And actually the Bible says that, that uh, Joshua himself did that. And then there were 12 men, one from each of the tribes, that were to take a rock from, 
from the riverbed and carry it all the way to Gilgale, which was quite a walk with a big old rock on your shoulder. And then they made another monument at Gilgale uh, from rocks that were in the river. So there was an outward monument and there was an inward monument. There was one that only God was going to see and one that all other people, uh, Jew and Gentile, believer and unbeliever. And I think it's kind of like that here too because Christ taught some of these parables outside the house and he taught some of them inside the house. And so there are th certain things, certain uh, parts of, of God's gospel message that uh, people outside the household of faith are going to hear and maybe they'll understand it, maybe they won't, but there are some things that are just, uh, you know, Christ doesn't cast his pearl before swine, right? He told his disciples not to, so I'm sure he didn't either. You know, that's why he was silent in front of, in front of uh, Pilate and, and the others when they were, you know, questioning him. He was silent as a lamb before shearers. And, and uh, so I think, uh, I think that's, there's, there's some significance to it because I don't think there's anything in the Bible, any message, any verse, even any word of the Bible that's insignificant, that's, that's without some amount of significance. So, uh, but I, I don't know if I could be dogmatic and say this is definitely what it means, but that's what I think it means. That's what I think it means. If you think it's something better than that, uh, tell me what your, your thought is because I'd like to hear it. Um, got any thoughts? No. Maybe Brother John would have some thoughts if yeah. he was here, but he's not. He's, he's uh, with his uh, family today. So, uh, anyway, so let's, uh, let's consider this, the parable of the uh, wheat and the tares. Um, obviously, the, the one that sowed the good seed is the Son of Man, and, and uh, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. That, how did, remember how, how did Christ say the kingdom is entered by what? You go across the border. No, he said you can't see it. It's it's within you, so you enter it by faith. You enter it by faith. So it's uh, not like when you go up to Panmunjom and uh, they got a blue line on the floor there, and you cross the blue line you're in North Korea. Uh, so it's not like that. There's no there's no blue line or yellow line or dotted line or you know. Um, Great Wall, like they, you know, Trump would build in Texas, and Arizona. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's just, it's within you. You can't look and see it. You, 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 you go into it by faith, and and that's evidenced by the repentance of sin. And so, um, that's the kingdom of the good seed are the children of the kingdom. And then the tares are the children of the wicked one. The wicked one is, uh, the, is the enemy that, that sowed them in, in the world, and, and that's the devil. And the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. And so uh, let's, let's think about that, uh, the, good, the good seed sown. And uh, uh, Christ has given the children 
of the kingdom, the responsibility of sowing the seed. Um, and that's why we have the Great Commission. And uh, we're supposed to go and, and preach the gospel to, to every creature. But while we do that and build up churches, there are going to then arise within the kingdom uh, some that only for a while look just like the wheat. But only for a while, because apparently the tares were, were self-propagating. So it wasn't that they bore no fruit. They just didn't bear good fruit, useful fruit. You couldn't make bread from their fruit. I don't know what you could make from a tear. Um, but that's, uh, that's what they did. They, they uh, would be competition for the nutrients in the soil. They would crowd out the good seed. And that's what you have in a lot of churches. You have people that come into the churches, and they're not really contributors. They don't, they don't really tithe. Or even if they do tithe, uh, it's, it's, they're not really, uh, their presence in the church isn't really um, edifying to the church and to other believers. And instead, they often uh, cause division, and they maybe even cause visitors who come into a church to leave. I heard about, uh, in fact, I know this is true, there is a church in a state that we used to live at, not the state of Indiana, uh, but uh, a certain uh, fellow was uh, pastoring in that church, and his uh, father-in-law was, it was a small church, there was probably only about 25 people in the church, and his father-in-law was one of the men in the church. And uh, he found out after he had been pastor for about three years, and visitors would come, and not one of the visitors in three years ever stayed, not one. And he found out later, one of the visitors came to him and told him sometime later, he said, so did you ever like get your issues resolved with your father-in-law? And he's like, uh, my father and I get along wonderfully. What do you mean? He says, well, your father-in-law told me not to join the church because you were an idiot. And he went back. And he asked uh, a number of the people that had, he went and tracked them down, found several of the people who had visited the church, and he said, uh, let me ask you a, a question. Please give me an honest answer. Did my father-in-law say anything to you when you visited our church? And they all said, uh, yeah, he told us you were an idiot and we shouldn't join the church. His own father-in-law. And uh, he ended up having a church meeting and disciplined his father, put his father-in-law and mother-in-law out of the church. And uh, there's, there's people that they really don't contribute. They're duplicitous or, uh, you know, whatever their motive is in coming to church and, and uh, it's, it's, it's not a good motive. And so that's what terror, uh, terrors, they, they, for a while they look just like the wheat. And they may even gain some prominence in a church, but uh, they're, they're not producing any good fruit. And so that's the kingdom of God is going to be like that. And I think that 
even more than the parable of the seed and the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares is something that when we look at church life, even though I say that the, the kingdom is not the church, but the churches, all churches and all believers are in the kingdom of God. Uh, so whether, whether we're talking about churches or ministries, because uh, I haven't really yet found a ministry that is not uh, a ministry of a local church that doesn't have a corporate mentality. And you have people working in those ministries that have, uh, uh, they, they stab each other in the back. Um, they, they all want to advance to the next rung on the ladder. Uh, they all want to have a bigger piece of the pie of that. And I, I've seen that at the Pacific Garden Missions. I have seen that in uh, the Good News Rescue Mission in, in Indianapolis. I've seen it in, in uh, 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 what is it, Youth for Christ or Campus Crusade for Christ. A lot of these ministries, uh, they, I'm not saying they don't do some good things because they do have some godly uh, Christian people in it. And, but those ministries often uh, they resemble what goes on in the corporate world, and it's it's not always a good thing. And so, uh, the the uh, the the seed that's sown, uh, I think I think it's uh, I have notes here that I hate wearing my glasses because then you're all blurry. But if I don't read them then my notes are all blurry and I can't read it. Uh, so it is uh, when men are, are not watching, it says that, that he, uh, the enemy, sowed the seed. It wasn't just, uh, you know, somebody that uh, liked to eat tares more than wheat. It wasn't somebody who was, you know, had... Uh, Ciliates and was uh, couldn't eat gluten that, that sold the tares. You know, this wasn't uh, just an, uh, an healthy alternative to, uh, to the uh, wheat. It was an enemy that sold the tares, and, they, and he did it secretly. And uh, that, that continues to go on today. That's, by the way, how the devil works. And so when, you, when, you're, when you're talking... With somebody in the church, or somebody uh, is another believer, and, and, and they say, hey, I want to tell you something, but you got to keep this a secret. Um, generally speaking, when, when people tell me that, uh, I'll say, well, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to keep it a secret unless, unless it's something that shouldn't be kept a secret. If it shouldn't be kept a secret, I'm not going to promise you that I'll keep it a secret. You know, if you tell me you're molesting your children, I'm, you know, I don't. I don't say that, but in my mind, that's that's what it is. If this person is going to uh, confess a crime, I'm not going to be complicit in their crime by helping them cover it up, and I'm also not going to enable them by helping them, you know, alleviate some measure of guilt because they confessed it to me. Uh, as a pastor, a lot of people uh, have have called me up and they confessed things to me because they were just uh, eaten up with guilt. And somehow they think, 
you know, if they confess their sins to me, then whew, there I confessed it, and now I don't have to carry this load of guilt around. Telling me the bad things that you know that you've done it doesn't doesn't benefit you at all. If you've if it's me that you've wronged, then then you know, okay, I'm I'm willing to forgive you if you know if you want to be forgiven. Uh, but but if you you know uh, somebody stole something from their boss, actually stole a lot of money from their boss, and they called me up and they confessed it to me, and I'm like, well, dude, you need to. You know that you need to confess it to your boss. And sometime later I said, hey, did so-and-so ever get a hold of you? Oh, no, I haven't seen, talked to him in years. Uh, and I know that that person never did go and confess what they had done, and therefore they also never made restitution, uh, which the Bible commands uh, should be done. And so maybe he feels, maybe he left because he confessed it to me. Maybe he left thinking, oh, I've confessed it, so whew, I feel better now. And uh, there, there's even people that I know, I know a lot of cheating husbands will confess to their wives, oh, I'm sorry, I cheated, I'll never do it again. Uh, and it's, it's not even that they really wanted their wife's forgiveness. They just feel better about themselves because they confessed it. And they don't really care how much they hurt their wife. They just want to feel better. Because, you know, carrying around that load of guilt. And so all I'm saying, I say all that just to say this, that if somebody comes to you secretly, oh, I want to tell you something. This is going on. But, uh, what they're really saying is, can I gossip to you? And uh, things that are done in secret, generally speaking, I'm not saying everything should be broadcast. Uh, there's a lot that pastors know. That, that we shouldn't be telling other people. Uh, but, but be careful of being complicit in what the devil does. Uh, when you know that somebody is sowing seeds of, of uh, um, uh, disunity in the church, and they come to you, yeah, let me tell you something, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you don't have the nerve to rebuke them, and, and, and you should, because the Bible commands it, you should say to them, stop, stop. You should pray for that person. You should pray about this issue. You should go talk to the pastor. You shouldn't talk to me about it. I can't solve the problem. Uh, clearly, you're upset about this, and you should follow what the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 says, if somebody offends you, and you go to that person alone. And you, you get reconciled with that person alone. And the only ones that ever need to know that there was a problem is you and the person who offended you, and you can get it solved. And most, most uh, conflicts would be resolved that way if, if people would just follow what the Word of God says. But they don't. They go and gossip. They complain to everybody. They, they, they sit at home and stew. And uh, they get a bitter heart, and oh, oh, I'm never going to go talk to that person. Well, then you're the one who has the sin. And so then you have to go to two or three with one or two others that in the mouth, you're, you know, every word can be established, and then they won't hear the two, two or three, then it goes before the whole church. That's, that's the Bible way to deal with discipline. But there's always going, Christ 
has an enemy. His name is Satan. And Satan has many servants. Some of them are spirits, some of them are unclean spirits, and some of them are people. And uh, so they're going to come and they do their work. They don't do their work in the open. Uh, they begin their work secretly. And so be careful uh, about uh, those that, that want to do those things in secret around you. And uh, we, can, we, we can all uh, do our church a lot of good uh, just simply by saying, no, I, that's, you shouldn't be talking to me about that. You should pray about that issue. You should go and talk to you know, whom, whomever uh, should be talked to about it. But, uh, so watch out for those who want to sow tares in your heart, okay? And, uh, and then uh, the enemy sowed, uh, and then he, he went on his way. Uh, because that's what they always do, isn't it? They, they don't stick around, the ones who cause trouble. Why don't they stick around? Well, first of all, they don't stick around because they don't love you. They don't care about you. They're not going to be there when you need help. They're not going to be there when you're hurting. They're only there to cause disunity and, and uh, trouble and problems in the church. And so they're always going to go on their way. And that's, that's uh, what, what uh, um, Paul said. He said uh, they, they weren't, well, I think actually it was, it was John. They were not of us, and therefore they went out from us. And uh, so um, it, you can always, uh, you know, tell them. The, 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 the enemy, they're the ones that, you know, are leaving. And then uh, the, the tares and the, the weeds, they, they grow up together, they spring up together. And that, you know, is sad because uh, just this past week, uh, there was a young man over at Soul First Baptist that uh, went to Bible college, same Bible college that Robbie went to. He graduated from Bible College, and he served faithfully at Minehorn Church while he was in the States. Uh, he taught a Sunday school class, and, and two times he was the summer ministry intern. And he even tried to get a job as a teacher in a Christian school, but without a master's degree, the U.S. government wouldn't give him a visa. And so he came back here and said his plan was going to be to earn some money and then go to graduate school at Pensacola and uh, work on a master's degree. The minute he got back here, he quit church. He's now working three jobs and his goal in life is to earn as much money as he can. And uh, he's, he's essentially said, I don't even really care about God anymore. And I, you know, I don't understand uh, what, what happened in his heart because we saw him when we went to uh, Robbie's wedding around this time last year and he was faithful in serving the Lord and teaching the Sundays, teaching a teen class. And, and now he won't even go to church. And it's uh, the tears and the wheat. They're right there. They spring up together. 
but eventually one is going to produce good fruit and the other one is going to produce bad fruit bad fruit and uh, then let's uh, The, uh, the harvest, the harvest. Well, uh, first of all, let me just say that the, uh, the, the servants of the Lord, they came and they recognized the difference early. And they said, you want us to pull them up, just wrench them right out of the soil? And uh, the master said, no, because when you do that, you're going to hurt some, some of the wheat. You're going to damage some of the wheat. And uh, I think we can uh, deduct from that that uh, the tares always, they're going to hurt wheat in, in different ways. They're, they're going to damage wheat if they're removed. That means that in a church, one thing I never do, no matter uh, what I think about the person, Personally, no matter what I judge them, because we all judge one another, we, it's it's impossible. Uh, you know, we're all going to look at people and decide for ourselves what we think they're thinking, what we think their motivations are. Uh, but I don't, I don't. Uh, the ones that, for you know, cause the most problems in the church, uh, I am not one of the pastors who says we should run them off. And I have been in meetings with pastors who, who, who boasted about how many people they've run off from their church. Uh, I, I would be ashamed to run anybody off from my church because God can, you know, even if that person is a tear, that doesn't mean that they're destined to, to hell. That doesn't mean that they're they're, they have no option. I'm, I'm not a Calvinist. I don't believe that that person can never get saved. Uh, there are people that get saved late in life. There are even church-going, faithful church-going people who, who get saved after attending good churches for, for many years. And uh, so there's, there's always hope. As long as there's time, as long as they're still alive, there's always hope that the Spirit of God will change them. And will they cause damage in the church? Yes, you don't want to, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't think that uh, I would allow somebody that I knew was fomenting uh, um, disunity in the church and was, was actively going around and it was, it was known and there was witnesses to the, to the fact that this person is trying to cause trouble in the church. At that point, you, you do the, things that Matthew 18 uh, commands. But there are some people who are just, their personality is, is not effervescent. Their personality is, is uh, you know, there's not nice people to be around. Uh, maybe, maybe they're, they're uh, you know, got a critical spirit. Uh, maybe they're just, they, they're glass half empty kind of people. And, uh, and they rub a lot of other people the wrong way. But if they're not actively doing something to cause trouble in the church, then, then I think that they have as much right to be in the church and to be members of the church as anybody else 
who has a testimony that they know Christ is their Savior, they've been baptized, and they come to church. And uh, so uh, we, we need to be careful about thinking that God has made us detectives to, to root out the terrors in our church. And uh, that is one reason why I am really don't like this home church movement and, uh, you know, the, these uh, Michael and Debbie Pearl types. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they've written a lot of books on the home and the family and rearing children. And uh, they are they're adamantly, adamantly anti-church. Uh, they, they believe that, uh, that the church is full of tares, it's hopelessly corrupted, and we have to preserve our children from all of the evil influences in church. They're going to stand before God someday, and, and they're going to have to explain to God why they hated the body of Christ. Because that's what the church is. It's the body of Christ. And uh, why they literally waged war against the church. Why they celebrated and rejoiced. Every time they are able to convince a family to leave church so that they can protect their children. Uh, we, we don't need to be like that. Uh, 